please note, this episode contains discussions of domestic abuse, body desecration, abortion, and violence towards women. Listener discretion is advised. Medicine available during the 1800s was juvenile and fairly risky, particularly for women who were in search of abortions, a taboo procedure only reserved for the most scandalous of affairs. But what happens when the procedure goes wrong and you need to go to extremes in order to hide what you have done? Hey, have you heard about the woman in a barrel? Hi everybody, it's Maddie. Uh, Just another quick note about this episode, just like the one before it. We are continuing to practice safe social distancing here at the Hey Have You Heard About headquarters. So my friend Rebecca, who is the guest for this episode, called in. You'll see a difference in quality between her microphone and mine. She was traveling at the time, so she did not have access to a good quality microphone to say the very least so please ignore any background sounds you might hear anything like that her microphone picked up a lot of that so i hope you guys enjoy the episode either way and i will see you guys in a second hello everyone welcome back to hey have you heard about we're so glad you could join us today my name is maddie and joining me is my dear friend rebecca hello You might remember Rebecca from the Weeby Voiced Killer episode, which is one of the more popular ones. If you found the podcast through that, then this voice, or her voice, will seem very familiar to you for sure. Uh, Is is Trey still at number one? uh, Yes, he is. He still is up at top number one, you know. Again, thank you guys so much for joining us. I hope your May is going well. A lot of good things happening this month, you know, but we'll get into that later. So in case you don't know, we have merch. Hey, have you heard about merch? All the proceeds for that go straight to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. They're a nonprofit organization that works with the government in order to locate and find children who have either been abducted, kidnapped, you know, involved in illegal activities, not of their own, you know, free will, of course. And children who are just in bad situations, they locate them and take them out of those situations. So they're a great organization. All Plus, of the... the merch is gorgeous. <laughs> yes, I our merch is really cute, I have to admit. We're going to do a photo shoot, you know, once all of this dies down. So, it's so going to be great. It's, I'm looking forward to it a lot. But all the money made from merch goes straight to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. We also have a Patreon So if you want to support the show directly, you can check us out at patreon.com slash hey, have you heard about? As low as a dollar, you get access to episodes a day early. You also get weekly updates from me where I go a little bit more in depth than I do on all our social media sites. So Twitter, Instagram, you know, I post updates pretty regularly there, but on Patreon, I get a little bit more in-depth. It's more frequent postings. I talk more about what's going on and all that sort of thing. I would also like to thank our sponsors for this episode, Best Fiends. Best Fiends really coming in clutch lately. Best Fiends, yes. We really appreciate them. I love working with them, and you are going to hear more about them later on in the episode. So if you're new here, welcome. Hello. What I like to do with this podcast is I take True crime cases, ghost stories, you know, conspiracy theories, just creepy things that hopefully the guest has never heard of, and I tell it to them, so you get real authentic reactions, questions, all that sort of thing. So it's really fun, it's a cool way to tell a story, and yeah, so I think that's everything I need to go over, yes, it looks like it. So this case I'm actually really excited for. It's one that I initially heard on one of my favorite true crime podcasts called Case Files. I'm sure you guys have heard of it before. It's really big. It's one of their older episodes, and I was just scrolling through, and I decided to revisit this one, and it was the perfect May episode. So here we are. But before we get into that, we are going to share some good news. 
So during this time of quarantine and self-isolation, although things are starting to open up more, I think it's important that we celebrate each other's, you know, successes and share some happiness. So if you personally have any positive good news that you would like to share, you can email me at hhyhapodcast at gmail.com. You can message me on Twitter or Instagram. Both of those link oh both of those tags are hhyhapodcast and just share some good news. It can be anything. We just want to hear that you guys are being positive in this negative time. Exactly. You know, spreading some love. My good news is that finals are finally over. You know, it's great to finally be out of school. It's great to, you know, be able to see my family or communicate with my family again. And I'm just really, really happy that that's one thing I don't have to worry about anymore. (laughs) Well, I guess my happy would be that since finals are over, uh, I decided to come spend some time with my friend on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Ooh. Kind of do a little self-isolation in a different environment and so far it's been great everything is so much greener and prettier down here already excited oh I know it's been a lot cooler than it normally is during this time of year too I don't know if it is for y'all down there but oh no uh, it's it's sunny and 75 baby oh perfect well normally it's like you know in the 80s at this point so it's nice to have a little bit of cooler weather I suppose it was very cold when we left Oxford yeah oh I bet but again, if you guys have any positive news or happies just like that, feel free to share them. You know, let me know what's going on. Let me know what good things are happening. Okay, so that's enough good news. We are about to get into this case, which is an older one. There are very few sources out there outside of, you know, primary sources. So I was scrolling through, you know, old New York Times newspaper articles from like the 1800s learning about this case so it very much is an old one but I think it's a very very interesting one and it'll leave you on the edge of your seat and you'll be like "Ooh, what's going on you know it's just one of those cases so I'm very excited I'm sitting on the floor of the porch so if you have me on the edge of my seat I will be very surprised (laughs) <laughs> well, we'll see uh, what no, I'm happens. Kidding, I'm kidding. I'll try my best. <laughs> so if you follow the Twitter and Instagram, you've been seeing the clues that I've been leaving in the posts. A lot of them have to do with candy. And, you know, just, you know, good candy, sweet stuff, all that sort of fun stuff. So back in the day, they used to store big things of candy in barrels, of course, because that's all they had lying around and that's all you would store things in, right? Makes sense. So they would store candy in barrels. Well, this time around, there was not any candy in the barrel they discovered in this location. So, Rebecca, mm-hmm. have you heard about the lady in the barrel? I have not. You have not? Okay, perfect. So this is actually one of the first instances of a lady in a barrel. While I was researching, apparently this is a common trend to find women in barrels, which I'm sure we'll explore in the future, possibly. That'll be interesting. But this specific story took place on Staten Island, New York, September 15th of 1878. So a major throwback. Yes, major throwback. So, on this specific day, there were three boys who were working near Silver Lake, and they found a wooden barrel buried in the ground. So, they're like, well, there's a barrel. It's 1878. We don't have a lot going on. So, let's dig it up. I would dig it up. Of course. So, they would, they began to dig it up, and they opened it. And inside, they found that the barrel had been sawed open a little bit and sealed with a carpeting. And as they sort of began to pull the carpeting out, a human arm fell out of the barrel. Was it so like, what is... was the arm like mm-hmm. cut off of the body or was it like... No, it, it's still connected to okay. the body. Thankfully, thankfully. Yeah. Um, take the body out of the barrel? Uh, call the police? I don't know. Yeah, call the police would be the correct answer in this case. Oh. So the police were called. Luckily... The boys didn't really touch anything. They were a little bit freaked, as you would be. So they they called the police. And the police removed the rest of the dirt from the barrel. And 
realized that a 50-pound stone had been placed there to conceal the barrel and also conceal the body, obviously. So right away, you can tell that this, whoever did this, did not want this person to be found. I thought you were about to say it obviously wasn't an accident. <laughs> well, that too, it obviously wasn't an accident. You know, when, when you find a barrel covered in dirt with a 50-pound rock over it, I would hope that you would not assume that this is just an accident, like, oh. Or just a woman in a barrel. I don't think that could happen accidentally. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Trip and so, fall, uh, land in a barrel. <laughs> bury yourself next to a lake. So they finally pulled the carpet all the way out, and they found a naked, partially decomposed body of a woman had been stuffed inside, and she was covered, also covered in a linen sheet. So that was the only sort of cloth besides the carpet that she had on her was this linen sheet. Interestingly, though, there was a nightgown and a bag that was also stuffed in the barrel to make it seem more full. You know, just like to keep her in there is what they assumed. The woman's arms had been crossed over her chest and her head was bent forward between her knees. So kind of a sort of fetal, fetal position, position mm-hmm, which might be interesting to explore as we get more into the story. Well, I was also thinking the barrel's kind of small. Placing the body intricately is definitely very intentional. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. According to the coroner, his name was Coroner Dempsey, who was the Staten Island coroner at the time. He said that the most horrific part of this discovery was that the flesh on her face had, it was gone, and her eyeballs were missing. So it would be very difficult to identify this woman with what they had just based on her body. And dental records definitely weren't a thing back then. Well, yeah, I think this was around the time where they were starting to get into that, but I don't think this, they were, the dental records were used in this case. I could be wrong, but that that's something to look into later on for sure. Coroner Dempsey, who again was on the scene, observed that she was between 25 and 30 years old. She had dark brown hair in a two-foot braid. To him, at a first glance, there was no violence, no struggle indicated based on, you know, the marks on the body. But he did notice that she had a floppy abdomen, which indicated that she had recently had a child, been pregnant or had birthed a child. Yes. That is so sad. Yes. And it was obvious from the decomposition that she had been buried for several weeks at this point. The body was transported to West Brighton Mortuary, where Coroner Dempsey worked. And that's where the autopsy was performed. What are our thoughts so far on what we know about this body? Honestly, really sad. I know I usually try and have like a positive outlook on this because I kind of enjoy murder stories. But I don't know. That's somebody's mom, you know? Yeah. Potentially. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think this time especially was so difficult for women during childbirth and during pregnancy and stuff. I don't know if it would be surprising to have her die, like to say that she died during childbirth or something, but I think what is, makes it so terrible here is how she was treated after the fact, you know? Right, even if it was an accidental Mm -hmm. death and they were just, you know, getting rid of the body, like, that's a horrible way. No one deserves that, you know? For sure. During the autopsy, Coroner Dempsey determined that the woman was not poor or unkempt. She actually had perfect white teeth. Her teeth had not suffered very much damage at all. And he also noticed that the items that surrounded her body, so the carpet, the linen, the nightgown, and the bag, were saturated with chloroform. So he theorized that this was a way to keep her unconscious if she happened to still be alive while in the barrel but it also darkened her hair so there was no way to know for sure specifically what hair color she had wow because the chloroform had changed it somewhat that's interesting so a chemical also had been rubbed into her face 
which is what caused the flesh to burn away, which made her unrecognizable, obviously. And he discovered that she actually had not had a child. When she died, she had still been pregnant. Eight months pregnant, if we want to get specific. Oh no. Yes. So, at this time, there were, obviously, abortions were not legal during this era. So, when you had a woman who was not married or, you know, poor and couldn't keep the child or... But it mostly had to deal with women who were not married. Their two options were to have the baby secretly or to risk an illegal abortion, which more often than not resulted in, you know, either death or some kind of permanent issue. Yeah, I'd also like to say that most likely the only reason that we're hearing about or I'm hearing about this now is because she was white yes Mm -hmm. I can't imagine how many other people of color this happened to and there were no there was no reporting on it no investigation of it very true that's a I mean that's something I didn't think of when I was researching but yeah that for sure is a good point as well a theory that the coroner came up with was that there had been a, a botched abortion this led to internal hemorrhaging and the doctor in order to conceal what he had done because if he you know had been found out he was doing abortions he would most likely not be allowed to practice anymore had hid her body in the hopes that no one would find her so that was the theory but (laughs) but but, yeah Mm -hmm. she was intentionally placed in the fetal position yes that sounds like a message It really does. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I want you to h- hang on to that while we're continuing. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just feel like that's that's definitely intentional. Like, it could have definitely mm-hmm. been, like, a botched abortion, but somebody did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree for sure, and we'll get into that. He also... There was one thing, though, that he, he questioned, and that was that it was obvious that the woman had sustained a head injury... And according to his analysis at this time, right after the body was discovered, he determined that the injury was done after death. So it could have been while she was being put into the barrel. It could have been, you know, while they were transporting the barrel. Right. Whatever. But he determined at this point that it had been inflicted after death. Probably the 50 pound rock they put on top. You know, that's a that's a good, valid uh, theory. Yeah, true. Of course, the, the next logical step is to start looking for missing persons in the area to see if you can identify who this woman is. So there was no record of any missing women in the area at all. But at this so, time, they probably wouldn't have reported it if she was an unmarried pregnant woman. Right, that's true. So he began to do the only thing you could do in um, 1878. He began to let people in to see her body in order to see if anybody happened to know her, know her family, just any any possible way to identify this woman. Right. And of course, you know, people being who they are, they would go see her just because they were curious about... Oh my gosh. This woman, Yes. Uh, That's humanity humanity isn't great in this story very much. Sorry, I'm kind of dumb, but like when was the camera invented? They had cameras during the Civil War. So, yes, it would have been invented at this point. But as far as I could see there I couldn't find any pictures or anything. So, if somebody has a picture of her out there, maybe they were like really expensive and the photo quality was low so they had to do it in person. Yeah. So, it's just horrible to me. Yeah, but I will say that because of this curiosity that people had with her, this is how the story got so big and how so many people began to learn about it. And that will come in handy later on, I promise. Actually, right now. Wow. So, so obviously no one could identify her. It was obvious that she was not a resident. People assumed that she came to Staten Island for the abortion. And then word began to spread about the woman they said you know despite her 
you know, desecration, decomposition, she was still a very beautiful woman. You know, small, beautiful teeth, long hair, that sort of thing. <clears throat> beautiful, white, wealthy woman. Of course. So, so many people across the country, because the story began to get so big and so many people came to see her and they began to talk about her beauty, a lot of people across the country began to claim that they knew her and they would come and visit her body. So what is wrong with f- people? Yeah, well, it is what it is. It is 1878. They didn't have a lot of ways to identify like we do now, unfortunately. And entertain themselves by claiming fake relatives? Yeah, Compromising yeah. the investigation? Oh, it gets really compromised, let me tell you. This is a doozy. Oh gosh, so already. The, f- the first guy to come in and ask to see the body was a guy named Louis Reeg Clifton. He said that he had a relationship with a woman named Ellen Murphy, and he had planned to marry her, but he never did. So he said at the time she went missing, Ellen was seven months pregnant. He also said that she disappeared nine days before the body was found, and that some of her attributes was that she had long brown hair and perfect teeth. So this guy comes in and he's like, I know this chick just based on what you've, what I've read in the papers. I think this is her. Can I see her? Unfortunately, Coroner Dempsey had already had her buried in an unmarked grave. Why unmarked? Because they didn't know who she was and that's how they did things, I guess. I don't know. It's pretty wild. I will admit it. So he decided to dig her up and let Lewis see the body to see if he could make the identification Of course, Lewis coming in with preconceived notions and already believing that this was, you know, his lover, began to cry and claimed that it was her. He he did a whole deal about it. It was very dramatic, apparently. Coroner Dempsey was not so sure because of the fact that her hair, of course, could have been dyed. Right. uh, You know, because of the chloroform. So he wasn't totally sure that this was Ellen. So he reburied her and he made Lewis testify in front of the coroner's jury, which was basically a group of people who, whose job it was to determine if this person had been identified correctly or not. Do you know if that's still a thing? I honestly don't know. I thought it was a very interesting, you know, thing for sure that they yeah, had back then. Have, yeah, we have different ways of identifying people. I wonder if that's still mm-hmm. a thing. That's interesting. I'll have to look that up. That- yeah, for sure. Let me know when you do, and I'll post it on Twitter or something. Okay, uh, cool. And we'll we'll know for sure if that's still a thing. The landlady that Ellen had at the time went to testify as well, and she said that Ellen had quit her job and had moved out of Staten Island the when she supposedly went missing. So the jury decided that because the landlady where knew where Ellen was they they determined that this was not in fact Ellen so the investigation continued and Lewis went home knowing that Ellen was out there somewhere I don't know Lewis is no longer part of the story I wonder if Lewis like held the landlady hostage to find out where his estranged lover went oof you know that makes me wonder if Ellen wanted to get away from Lewis mm-hmm hmm. That's curious. Well, I mean, if I he's crazy enough to start claiming fake people as his lover, then, you know. That's true. That's very true. So, Lewis was the first of many people visiting, claiming that this woman was their daughter, their lover, their wife, their friend, their sister, etc. And Lewis was also the start of many times the body would be unburied and then reburied. Oh my gosh. Yes. So... This is not going well for this woman's body. So, I wish they would have just taken pictures, man. Yeah, that, that would have been... Yeah, that would have saved a lot of trouble for sure. It's a lot Unfortunately, of things. Yeah, true. <laughs> Unfortunately, most of the people were unable to identify who this woman was. Right, because like, her so, body is getting more and more decomposed. Mm-hmm, exactly. And then each time so, they expose it to fresh oxygen. Exactly. So... As this starts to happen more and more, this 
husband and wife duo named George Hummel, and I couldn't get the wife's name because that was the time. They came to Staten Island and they claimed that the woman was Annie Hummel, who was their daughter. So they said that at 13 years of age, Annie went to work for a wealthy couple and the husband made advances after the wife got sick and went to New York for treatment. The husband made advances towards Annie and got her pregnant. So he was like, I can't let anyone know that you're actually pregnant. So he claimed that she was suffering from dropsy and also sent her to New York City to deal with the pregnancy. After that, Annie was never seen again. I don't know. This guy is also seems like a pretty bad dude for sure. They said she was 13? Yes, 13 when she began to work for them. So she would have been probably very, very, very young. I was just wondering was if she would fit into that because I said she was 25 to 30. Mm-hmm. Well, you can tell just by bone structure, you know, the age of someone how old they actually are and I think that's how they determined was just bone structure so obviously uh the jury said that you know the age is way off you know if we're being generous Annie could have been at the very least like 15 or 16 we didn't know how long she'd been working but there's definitely no way you know it probably would have been however many years more than 10 years so but George The father was adamant. He said it was Annie. And he said that there was a way to prove that it was Annie. So when Annie was younger, she fractured her wrist. And so if the bone showed evidence of a fracture, there would be no doubt that it's Annie. So it being 1878 and them not having a lot of options, they decided to cut off one of the arms to remove the flesh of the woman. And... After all of that, there was no sign of a fracture on her wrist. Mm. So it was not Annie. Yeah. Those poor parents. I know, for real. Coroner Dempsey at this point is like, you know, I don't want people to have to keep coming and making these claims. I just want to put this woman to rest. I want to figure out who she is. All this sort of stuff. Blah, 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 blah. So he began to work backwards in the investigation. So he went to, he went to Staten Island and said, if anyone has any information, if they saw anything suspicious around Silver Lake, you know, if they encountered a suspicious individual during this time period, please come forward. I would love to talk to you to see if we can get some leads on who this woman is, what happened to her, all this sort of stuff. And plus, like, abortion was really illegal at this point, so if mm-hmm. anyone did have any information, they would have probably been scared if it was related exactly. to that. Exactly. So hundreds of families began to come forward, but no one could confirm, you know, if they had actually seen this woman or if they had seen anything suspicious. So finally... Two weeks after Dempsey asked somebody to come forward with information, a man came forward named August Keemer. And August said that he saw a man near Silver Lake on July 20th of 1878. He also saw a man pushing a wheelbarrow with a barrel on it. And he said that he could identify the man as Edward Reinhardt, who had been pointed out initially as a suspect, but the lead had never been followed. Do you know, like, what it was? Like, why he was a suspect previously? I could not find why he was a suspect, but he was one of the people that they had, you know, on their radar. Wow. Until he was proven to not, you know, have anything to do with it, but... He's back on their radar now, and we are going to talk about Edward and what he did right after we hear a word from our sponsor. This episode of Hey, Have You Heard About is brought to you by Best Fiends. 
I don't know about y'all, but now that finals are over and summer is right around the corner, I have to start finding ways to keep myself entertained and busy. And if you're like me and you're from the South, then you know that the best way to do that is to find ways to stay cool and relaxed during this hot weather. That's why I'm so glad that I have Best Fiends to give me something to do. I know you guys know how much I love Best Fiends, and I'm so glad they've decided to sponsor this episode of the podcast. Best Fiends is one of the best puzzle games out there right now, and it is so much fun to play. I've been busy at it lately, and I've made it all the way to level 85, but Best Fiends is a casual game, so there's no pressure to be better than other players. I like to set personal goals, so my goal for the end of the summer is to make it all the way to level 100. One feature that I love about it is that the app gets updated with new events and offers every month, so it always feels fresh and keeps me busy. Not to mention, Best Fiends has some of the cutest characters, and every time I evolve my bugs, they just get cooler and cooler. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. And we are back. Thank you again to Best Fiends for sponsoring this episode. Definitely go check them out. There's going to be a link in the show notes where you can download the app and have fun playing it. Yay! Yay. Okay, so where we last left off, if you need a refresher, is that Coroner Dempsey started to investigate backwards. He began to ask for witnesses to come forward about any suspicious activity they saw during the time when the woman could have died and up to when she was discovered. So a man came forward named August Keemer, and he testified that a man named Edward Reinhardt had been seen with a wheelbarrow and a barrel in the wheelbarrow around Silver Lake on July 20th of that year. So a little bit about Edward Reinhardt. He lived in Staten Island for a long time. He actually worked at a candy store and he had recently moved to Manhattan with his new wife, Pauline. Our so, is already him. He works at a candy store. Let's go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are our, our alarm bells are going off. We kind of understand that this is the man. I know how so, Twitter works. This is him. <laughs> This is him. So Dempsey and August went to visit Reinhardt in Manhattan, and he denied bearing a barrel. He was like, that wasn't me. The only barrel I moved that day was because I was moving out of the candy store and I was moving here with my lovely new wife, Pauline. So Dempsey, obviously he was like, this is a strange story. I'm not sure if this is actually true. So he did some digging and he found out that Reinhardt had, had been in a relationship with a woman named Mary Ann Keegan. And when he was asked about Mary Ann, Reinhardt claimed that he was still in touch with her, that she was working somewhere else in the city, that they were still close friends, despite, you know, that their relationship had not gone anywhere. And that she, like I said, she was still in the city, so he knew her address. So he gave them Mary Ann's supposed address. Guess what? What? There was no one with that name at that address. Imagine that. Edward E. Little Stinker. Who would have thought? So immediately Reinhardt was arrested when they discovered that, okay, so he had a barrel at the time. He is very suspicious about it. And he lied about knowing where Marianne is. And Pauline, his new wife, was shocked by this arrest, obviously. So she began to do her own digging of her, you know, on her own. She was suspicious, as she should be, and she discovered that, okay, so a week after their marriage, Reinhardt, they had moved to Manhattan, and Reinhardt said that he needed to return to Staten Island to, quote, settle some things, unquote. So at the time, That's she... suspicious at all. No, not at all. So at the time, you know, they just got married. She wants to be with him. She wants to see him. So she tried to visit Staten Island, but she couldn't find him anywhere. He hmm. was not available at that time. Hmm. 
So she was starting to put the dots together that, okay, this is very weird. You know, did he actually do something to this woman? Is this Marianne? So another family came forward and they claimed that this woman in the barrel that they had, that had been found, of course, was their daughter, Mary Ann Deadman. Not so, Marianne Keegan? Not Marianne Keegan. So that was another thing that Reinhardt lied about was her last name. Wow. Mm-hmm. So they said that the based on the descriptions they had heard of the woman, she had a chilling resemblance to their missing daughter, Marianne. Her mother said that Marianne had been married to a man who ran a candy store in Staten Island. Hmm... So we don't have a lot of other men running candy stores that we know of on Staten Island. So obviously that man was, in fact, Edward Reinhardt. So she said, the mother said that Marianne had been married a year prior and that the family had not heard from Marianne since early July, a week before Edward married Pauline. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So the plot thickens. It's getting curious and curious. Is Pauline in, like, protective custody? Is she staying with her parents or something? <laughs> I don't know where Pauline, what Pauline is doing, but she did say that she wanted to meet with Marianne's mother, and she 100% offered as much help as she could with the investigation at this point, because she was like, oh, this guy is obviously not good, and he has done something terrible. And that's horrible. So she took the initiative, very proud of Pauline for this, she took the initiative and began to produce things that Reinhardt had brought from Staten Island, including a folded oilcloth table cover, which Marianne's mother identified exactly based on its patent that it had been Marianne's tablecloth. All right, I'm naming my daughter Pauline. (laughs) Sounds good. So, oh, you're going to hate this even more. Get ready. So, Reinhardt had given, after he returned from Staten Island, he had given Pauline a gold ring with two love hearts on it. No. And Marianne's mother identified that as Marianne's wedding ring. Oh, my gosh. There was an episode of SVU just like that. That was like the last straw for the wife. Isn't that just the worst thing you've ever heard in your life, though? Oh, my gosh. So, on October 9th of 1878, the coroner's jury jury met again. They met in Liberty Hall in New Brighton, Staten Island, New York, Mm -hmm. in those locations, and Reinhardt was brought in. It came to light during this trial that he had been imprisoned several times before. He was very, you know, abusive to women, specifically. He... Actually, one week after the murder, he asked to borrow money from his mother-in-law, Marianne's mother, and that was so he could have enough money to pay for the wedding, him and Pauline's wedding. Oh my gosh. Another thing, his wife came forward during the trial, Pauline came forward during the trial and said that before he had been arrested, he had actually hidden a carpet, and that carpet matched the one they had found in the barrel with the woman. Mm. So it's kind of obvious at this point that this bye dude... Bye-bye, Edward. Bye-bye, Edward, yes. So obviously, like I said, Edward was very abusive towards women. It was reported that Edward and Marianne had been very volatile. That was straight from the landlords that owned their apartment. Like they argued? They all... Yes, very volatile. They argued. So... The landlords reported that Marianne was afraid of her husband. She constantly hated when he was home. She had little to no freedom, basically. You know, was constantly worried about him, just in general. And they reported that July 19th was the last time that she had been seen or heard. So... Timelines match. Yes, exactly. So Edward stuck with his claim... He said that Marianne was alive and that she was in Manhattan and that she he could invite her to the jury and prove that she was, in fact, alive. But, uh, and that she, she he was not married to her, obviously. But 
the their marriage certificate, Edward and Marianne's marriage certificate, was found and presented to the court as evidence to prove that he was lying about the fact that they had not been married. Right. So it was at this point where Coroner Dempsey decided to unbury the body again, investigate it, do another autopsy, and this is where he determined that Mary Ann actually, who they finally identified her, obviously she was Mary Ann. So they, he identified that Marianne had actually died of blunt force trauma. So you remember how he had said that there was some, you know, damage to the skull or yeah, the, the head? Postmortem. Postmortem, he determined that it was actually, you know, the cause of death was blunt force trauma. Okay, but how did he change his mind after so much time had passed and, like, the body had been even more deteriorated? I wonder, I mean, I'm not a forensic scientist, I don't know how that works, like... Right. But I wonder what made him change his mind. At this point, he could bring the skull in as evidence. And he, I, I'm not 100% sure about for, how forensic, you know, stuff works, obviously. But he said that, uh, he said that there were fractures in the skulls that he hadn't noticed before or something like that. He brought the skull in as evidence to prove that there was damage to it. So I guess he just determined that there had been more blunt force trauma to the head than he had initially identified. Wow. But he also decided that this had happened while Mary Ann was in the process of giving birth. So while she was in labor. No. Was when she was killed. Yes. So how do we feel about Edward now? What are our thoughts? Well, I already didn't like him. I think like he's a him. scumbag. I already mm-hmm. didn't like him, but I guess I'm really just caught up on the science of how... Because, like, to determine that someone was giving birth when they died, that would be, like, something in their blood, their hormones. That wouldn't be checked months after they died, you know? He would have already had that data. And when you Very do, true. And when you do an autopsy, I believe you pull the skin back from the skull, especially if there's a head injury. So he would have already seen those fractures. I don't know why I'm getting so conspiracy on this, but it, it just seems <laughs> odd to me that he came to all these conclusions after they it had a suspect. It is very interesting. Yeah. I wonder, let me Google real fast and see how they could determine if somebody dies during childbirth. I mean, I already don't like Edward, but that's just interesting to me that he would come to that conclusion after, like while they were already in trial. Okay, so Google is not helping a lot, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm sure it's, like, a really intricate process that I know nothing about. But, like, in my mind, from my brief experience as a biology major, it would make sense (laughs) that there would be hormones present in the blood, and that's how you would determine that. Or maybe if she was, like, dilated, maybe? Yes. But, like, you Mm -hmm. you would check that before, especially if you were trying to determine if she had already had a baby or not. Well, I wonder if... If... For the argument of decomposition of how, you know, he was still able to ter- to determine all this, I wonder if the chloroform had something to do with preserving her body somewhat. Because, I mean, she was surrounded by... Is chloroform a preservative? I, I know that it can be used to knock people out. <laughs> I know, but so... that doesn't necessarily mean it's a preservative. This was at a time when we didn't know a lot about chemicals. So it could have been that they, you know, Edward attempted to either stop the smell of decay so he could get away with it easier or something like that so did it say what chemical they used that he used on her face to like make it disfigured to like it it did not it did not but i would assume if he has access to you know chemicals that can do that to somebody he probably has access to yeah that's that's what i was wondering like how did he get access to these chemicals i don't know i guess candy i don't know candy (laughs) what was he putting in that candy I don't know. I I used to work at a candy store, and I can guarantee that we did not have any harsh chemicals or any acid or anything like that. Like that's not in the candy making process. I would hope not. I don't know. I don't know about eighteen seventy eight, but that's not how we do it today. So, <laughs> I I have no clue where he could have gotten these chemicals, but he did unfortunately, and so that's horrible. That uh yeah, he was not a good guy. I'm glad her parents so, were able to you know identify her identify her and be able to push it so hard very true because like i mean if if august what's his name august uh keemer hadn't come forward you know then edward would have gotten away with it 
All right, and this was, that this makes me great. a little sick to my I've stomach. I've named my kids. My daughter's name will be Pauline. My son's name will be August. It's great. Perfect. We love it, for sure. So Edward, eventually, after the jury determined that this was obviously Marianne and that Edward was obviously the guy who killed her and hid her body, they moved on to an actual court system so where he could be a a criminal trial where he could be tried and you know punished accordingly he pled not guilty at this time he was like i didn't do it he's still sticking to his story he's like what year was it marianne is alive trial so it it officially went to criminal trial uh may of 1879 so that was so this was a year later yeah so he was like, I'm not guilty. Marianne is alive. I can tell you where she lived, blah, blah, blah. He also was refused bail. So he was in jail for an extensive amount of months at this point because the trial wasn't until May 1879 and they needed him to stay put for several months. So he tried to escape several times during this period and he was caught each of these times. So... He's not the greatest escape artist. And you said he maintained that he didn't do it, like, until he died? Yes, pretty much, yeah. But we'll get into that later. Okay. Uh, he, Pauline also, this is the one time where I was like, oh, oh, lady. She would talk to him through the prison window and still kept up her relationship with him. Okay, I lied. My daughter's name will not be Pauline. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Pauline. So the Pauline, criminal trial had be- so many chances to be great. <laughs> she really did. She tried her best and she was helpful, but I guess, you know, she was just he seems very abusive and manipulative, so oh, I'm, I'm sure, sure this was a a relationship that she felt that she could not leave, you know, which is really sad. But so Edward's criminal trial began, like I said, May 1879, and they the perp obviously he was guilty obviously that he was the one who killed her and buried her in the way that he did so the purpose of the criminal trial was to determine if the death was natural or if it was not so that question of how did you you know how did the coroner suddenly decide if this was blunt force trauma or not was what they were determining in okay, this good. criminal trial So, at this point, Edward changed his story. He was like, okay, so Marianne, obviously, I, they, I can't hide the fact that this was my wife now. It's obvious at this point. Got a marriage certificate. Exactly. So, he changed his story to that Marianne had fallen ill due to abortion medicine that she had taken. So... She apparently, his story was that she had tried to have an abortion and she got sick and died because of the medication she was using in order to make it happen or to heal from a botched or failed abortion or something like that. And she just fell down the stairs and collected all that blunt force trauma? I guess so. This I guess not that's the what staircase. you're saying. <laughs> this, this is not Kathleen. Uh-huh. So... After this, after all the evidence was brought, you know, the carpet, the barrel, the skull, the, you know, marriage certificate, the tablecloth, the wedding ring, all all of this evidence, all of his past, all of this evidence, the jury literally took 40 minutes to reach a verdict and they determined that Edward Reinhardt had in fact killed his wife purposefully, this was not a natural death, and he was found guilty in first degree murder in a unanimous vote by the jury. So there you go. Good for the jury for probably doing the right thing. What there. was his sentencing? So he was sentenced to be hanged. Wow. Oh yeah, it's like because 1800s. it was 1800s. So he his original uh death date, I don't know, was July 11th of 1879. But of course his lawyers were like, "Whoa, guys, let's try that again." So the the case went to several different court of appeals at one point they said that there was malpractice by i think a lawyer or uh, you know somebody involved in the court 
And so they got a retrial. It was this whole process. It was very, very long. But finally, the judge said, look, my guy, it's so obvious he did it. There's blunt force trauma. There had been a history of abuse. You know, the carpet. I'll go through the list again if you want me to, Mr. Lawyer. This man did it, and you. we can't do this anymore. We can't hold off anymore. So he was finally hung January 15th of 1881. Wow. Which so is this, still a very speedy trial and sentencing compared to today. Yes. Today's. Yes, definitely, for sure. But so they actually, because I guess there wasn't a lot to do in the 1800s, they actually sold tickets to no. let people see Edward be hanged wait yes they did who got the money like the city the state i i have no clue i guess the state got the money i it didn't really say you know that's important uh, like if you know people are paying to see it who's getting paid you know you know it's the 1800s it was a lawless existence i suppose you know when you're seeing someone die i don't know if you really care about who's getting the money pay a nickel see a guy hang Oh my gosh, yes. So the city actually uh, made this day a day of celebration. They all took off work. If you couldn't get tickets, you would stand outside and just celebrate that this guy was going to die. It was a whole affair. It was a big, big deal. Like I said, I guess there wasn't a lot to do during the 1800s. Interestingly, and probably for the best, Mary Ann's family did not attend the hanging, which I think is probably smart on their part, personally. Uh, you know, they got their closure when he was announced guilty, so. I have to ask, like, so this was such a fast trial, and he did maintain that he wasn't guilty, and there was all this evidence against him, but do you feel in any way that there was malpractice? I think, hmm, I think what they wanted to do was they wanted to identify the body first and foremost, and then if there was any, you know, foul play, they wanted to take care of that for the sake of the family, and, you know, so they could finally put this woman to rest. So I, I feel like that, I do agree that it was sort of rushed and that it was very hurried, but I also think that they didn't have a lot of steps to go through as we do today when it comes to juries and trials and all that sort of stuff. So I feel like that, that just naturally is a faster process. So I don't know, I guess, I think, I think he got as many opportunities as he could to be a good person and admit to it and possibly get off with a lesser sentence, but he refused to take those. Well, what went through my head when you mentioned that Pauline went to the prison to visit him is, you know, what if Pauline did it? And he was maintaining, hmm. maintaining, saying that he didn't do it, but didn't want her to get caught, you know? I guess that could be a possibility, but I don't Jealous think Pauline... I don't think Pauline knew who Marianne was was because Marianne went missing before their wedding. And she she made the claim that she had no idea that Edward had been married beforehand. Yeah, but if you did it, so, would you say that you did? No, but you get what I'm saying? I, I think it's it's I'm definitely suspicious. Theorist. Yeah. I think it's definitely suspicious and I think that could be an interesting way of looking at the case. But I also don't necessarily see, like, how they could have known each other beforehand. You get what I'm saying? I know Pauline was from New Jersey, and that's where, I think she's from New Jersey, and that's where she met Edward. I could be wrong. I could be getting Marianne and Pauline mixed up. But I know that he met her at a separate time. Separate place. You know, yeah, exactly. I got you, I got you. So... Yes. So that's that's pretty much the end of the story is that January 15th of 1881, Edward Reinhardt was put to death for, you know, Marianne's murder. And I he did not, he didn't take, I mean, he maintained his in, innocence to the grave, I will say. I actually, so there's a website, I'm sure a lot of people know of it, but it's findagrave.com. And I actually found Marianne and Edward's graves. And Mary Ann, thankfully, did get a grave. I so just, she is I was in... just about to say, good, it's no longer unmarked. Yeah, it, it's no longer unmarked. But
But I thought it was interesting. I mean, I guess it was because she was a woman in this time period and a lot of people didn't really care about women during this time. But Edward has such a huge biography on his grave and he has pictures and his section of the website is just very much way more detailed than Marianne's, which I think is a shame because she's the victim here. I don't know. Maybe that's just me being like, no, I completely agree. But I think it also is the time and people Mm -hmm. like didn't share as much. Women didn't share as much about themselves as men did. Very true. I just feel like Marianne deserves a little bit more. She definitely does. And you can you can go to the website and leave flowers, it says. And it, I guess it's just like a little donation. And You should leave the link put... in the thing. Oh, oh, it's in there. Don't worry. If you guys want to check out the, the their graves, you know, uh, the link for it will be in the show notes for sure. So, yeah, that's, that's the story of the lady in a barrel. That was a very sad and story. It was, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, Marianne got the justice that she deserves, and... Her parents did, too. Exactly. They got closure, where in a lot of cases, unfortunately, there is none. So, but yeah. Any other lingering thoughts or questions? Was there any information about Edward's childhood? Ooh. Besides the fact that he had been arrested a few times, I could not find very much information about him, just in general. He was perceived as being well off at the time, you know, being a businessman and all that sort of stuff, but, you know. I'm always interested in, like, the process of how a killer is born or how a killer is made. Right. Because I just don't think that... I don't know. I guess it's just me. I don't think that all people people can be like just inherently evil I guess sometimes they can be I don't know I think it yeah I think it's definitely something interesting that I wish there was more information about but like I said before there besides a few articles and a podcast episode there was not a lot of information about this case so I think that that's definitely something that I don't know maybe historians should look into and try to see if there's any information they can dig up about Edward just in general because I know that you know birth certificates and all that sort of stuff were there at the time so you know we could figure out who his family is and all that sort of stuff but yeah yep and again I'd just like to bring up um all of the women of color that went through the possibly the exact same thing with botched abortions that never received any justice Mm-hmm. or recognition yeah it's it's definitely an unfortunate thing that still you know happens today in yeah. a lot of different places I just kind of wanted to bring it up make people realize and think about it Mm-hmm. yeah I think it's definitely something that needs to be discussed more for sure but thank you guys so much for listening thank you rebecca for being the guest this episode i really appreciate it always so if oh it absolutely is always so if you like what you heard and you want more updates about hey have you heard about in the future you can follow our twitter and instagram at hhyha podcast if you have any advice suggestions comments anything like that you can leave us a review on itunes those really do help and i i try to read them all you know so I can get feedback and, you know, just do my best to make each episode better and better. What are the YouTubers So again, say? Like, comment, subscribe. Like, comment, subscribe, you know. Also, if you're listening on YouTube, do that as well. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it. So don't forget about our merch store at teespring.com slash hey, have you heard about? The link will be in the show notes. Like I said, all the money made from the merch store goes straight to the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children. They're really great. We would... You know, we want to support them during this time, especially if you want to support the show directly, check out the Patreon, you know, like I said, $1 a month will get you an episode a day early and weekly updates from me. I would also like to thank Best Fiends for sponsoring this episode. Definitely go download their app. It's a ton of fun. I play it all the time. It is just the best. I love it. So, yeah, I think that is everything I need to talk about. Thank you again, Rebecca. I already said it, but I really do appreciate it. Thank you. During this time of distance or whatever. So it's good to stay connected and all that sort of stuff. So thank you. 
And again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Goodbye.